Hi, welcome to Here for the Health of It. My name is Dr. Randy Kloss. I'm here with Dr. Tom Stetson, and we are exposing Columbia, South Carolina to the local movers and shakers in our community. And we talk about business and health. So I am introducing Kenrick Ware, who is a pharmacist in Columbia. He did a biology degree. He has a pharmacy degree. He has an MBA. And one of the cool things is that he is in the both academic world where he's a professor, but then he's also in a clinic downtown where he's working with a lot of patients who have HIV and AIDS and he's bringing awareness and he's helping to educate them. And he believes that one of the biggest issues right now in the HIV world is just a lack of talking about it and a lack of awareness about it. So I hope that you enjoy it. He has some statistics that will absolutely blow your mind. He is a very well-spoken guy, a very humble guy, and someone who's doing a lot of work in our community. So here he is, Kenrick Ware. Here, here, here. Hit the acapella. Here. We're here for the health of it. For the health of it. Rick, welcome to the show. You're our very first pharmacist that we've had on Wonderful. here, so we're excited. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you for having me. So my name is Kerry Ware. Um, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and I went to pharmacy school at Howard University in Washington, D.C. And prior to pharmacy school, I spent some time as a medical technologist. I worked in a lab, uh, and I did some, uh, like the people where you send your strep throat test down. I used to run strep, to- strep throat tests, and I also the phlebotomist uh, back in my former okay. life, so to speak. So I oh, had man. some uh, opportunities drawing blood and <clears throat> wasn't very good starting out, but I <laughs> got a little better over time. So I, I spent some time in phlebotomy and as a medical technologist working in the microbiology lab primarily. And then that led me to pharmacy schools, kind of learn more about uh, different antibiotics and you know, different, different drug therapies. So I spent some time there in Is, D.C. Do you have any crazy stories from your phlebotomy days? Well, one story comes to mind where um, I I used to miss people a lot. I, I couldn't, I was really, really bad starting out. And it's, it's always, like, so I walk in the room. And, and by like, miss people, you mean that they would try to get yeah, their vein and, the miss and miss and stuff. <laughs> and I actually worked, uh, the shift I used to work was 3 a.m. to 10 a.m. So I had a kind of an interesting shift. Whoa. And so I, when I get there, I had to get there and, you know, clock in and I would have to wake people up. And so you wake them up uh, and I worked in the hospital setting. So I said, Hey, I'm going to wake you up. And, um, you know, I have to get some blood from you, but admittedly it's, <laughs> it's probably going to take me a time or two. <laughs> so imagine getting 3.30 a.m. and someone's waking you up, you know, and, and I was, uh, you know, uh, significantly younger than I am now. So it's like, are you even old enough to be here by yourself? And, you know, so, so anyway, I get in there and I, you know, say, Hey, I'm, you know, and I'm nervous. They see I'm nervous. And so, so you have one shot. That's it. So, yeah. And I'm missed. And I have to kind of say, hey, well, you know, we really need your blood. And I don't want my supervisor to come up and stuff. So I'll try again. So usually about two, three times, yeah, I'll leave it. You got Baseball it. rules. I'll leave it. Three strikes, I'm out. I'll let someone else try it. And, you know, and you had the feeling that maybe that wasn't your calling yeah, in life. Like, you know, and maybe, then you moved to something yeah, else. Like, you know, this probably isn't the best idea for me. But I, I'll tell you, it gave me a lot of perspective about the labs we would run. And it really helped me in pharmacy because I was able to really make that connection with how drugs impact different lab values because I spent a lot of time running different labs, obviously in the laboratory setting. So I knew if a lab was high or low, some of the implications. So actually adding drug therapy to it really helped me to see, oh, this drug can actually lower this level. And I know what that means because of my time 
in, in a laboratory setting. Interesting. So, One last question on that too. Sure, sure. What's the is there was there ever a weird <clears throat> spot outside the arm that you had to draw blood from? Typically the hands. hands? So, yeah, so it's kind of like the, the butterfly approach. So some people will call it. So it's a different yeah. type of technique. So have you there were the, the patients that get stuck a lot? Okay. Sometimes their veins are just really small. Sure, they, trap, sure. they go all over. Has it, have you ever had to stick somebody in the neck? I haven't, thankfully. No. But that's an that is an option. It is an option. Yeah, I, yeah. I've heard of that. But no, thankfully I haven't. But the hands, once you kind of give them a, a ball or something, to yeah. kind of, you know, it can help a little bit more. But usually that's associated with a bit more pain. I just can't imagine somebody digging around on my arm, then my hand, and then going, we're actually going to have to try your neck. <laughs> well, I think our, if I recall correctly, our process was before you did that, you had to get someone higher up. Yeah, yeah someone else yeah, had to take a shot at it. If you missed it in the hand, then that, that was it for you. Yeah, you, yeah got your it. Your time had run out. Got so. it. What was your undergrad degree in while you were, before you got into pharmacy? So I had I got a biology degree and then I went on to yeah this was a degree in medical technology what's also called clinical laboratory science oh, nice. and so uh, and after that then I went to pharmacy school okay and then my last degree was a uh, MBA so I have a master's in business administration Sweet. as well along with the PharmD but the, the the it was biology first and then after that I went to the medical technology side of okay. it so because awesome. I felt the biology degree was a bit general and I yeah. just kind of needed more dexterity in the lab. I was still trying to decide if I want to do pharmacy medicine. I know I want to do something in the right. healthcare setting, but I knew I needed to get better in the laboratory setting, like microscope functionalities, those things I was right. I was pretty good in biology as far as conceptually and I understood it, but dexterity I was really, really Right. Did you ever consider going the med school route or a chiropractic route or anything else? I actually thought about the med school route. I mean, the interesting part that pushed me to pharmacy, so my grandfather passed of leukemia. And so I recall that his chemo regimen was, you know, we didn't, no one really knew. I guess you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so everyone was kind of, uh, you know, blaming the healthcare system and they were terms that nobody understood, hyper this, hypo that, you know, you know. So I said, you know what? I'll go to pharmacy school. You know, I kind of figure out what's going on with the regimens and with some of the therapies. And so that's that's really the motivation for me going into pharmacy yeah. was to really be able to break some of those terms down for my family members and communities. So that's, good. that's how I ended up there. Yeah. And so now take us to where you are right now and what you're doing. Sure. So, well, prior to coming to Columbia, I lived in Savannah, Georgia, and I worked in a hospital setting there. And I transitioned here actually in 2012. So it's been, been here a little bit of time now. And when I got here, so when you work at a pharmacy school, so I work at South University School of Pharmacy uh, off Farrow Road here in Columbia. <clears throat> and when you work in a pharmacy school, the first thing typically happens, they have to find a site for you to go to where you can practice your skills that should translate into the classroom. So I didn't really have a site when I got here. Uh-huh. I kind of came here. Usually that's kind of reverse. Usually come to a school based upon your practice interests. So I got here. And uh, interestingly enough, when I initially got here, as I mentioned, I had to uh, have an MBA. So I was going to do a pharmacy administration kind of site. Mm-hmm. So I, my initial goal was to work with different CFOs and CEOs about just pharmacy administration things, uh, protocols and formulary management, what medications they keep in-house. Mm-hmm. And in Columbia, I learned that the, the HIV uh, burden uh, of, among really younger black males in Columbia was really, really high. I had no idea. Right. And so I was sitting in a meeting, actually in a, a room similar to this, and that I knew not, I knew, I didn't know much about HIV from pharmacy school. I kind of forgot quite a bit. Um, and so anyway, the, the need evolved. So they said, well, we know you're interested in pharmacy administration, but we just have a dire need for education of, you know, individuals that are like you, who, who are perhaps a little bit younger getting diagnosed with HIV yet. 
alarming rates. And they, and the thought was from the clinic's perspective and our school's perspective was that having someone who, who looks like them and can identify and be able to answer some of their questions about their HIV regimens would be really, really helpful. So I was really voluntold that, hey, this would be your site uh, and you'll be working with uh, people living with HIV. And, and so that's kind of the nomenclature now as opposed to HIV infected people. It's really less stigmatizing. So that's one of the things I had to learn right. with some of the terminology, like people living with HIV. So I so I quickly brought myself up to speed as a host of medications for people living with HIV. And a host, I mean, it was a, it was a steep learning curve because, again, I went in with the pharmacy administration mindset to UBR uh, HIV uh, provider as a, from a pharmacy perspective. And interestingly enough, the guy at our school was resigning who taught HIV. So I, I, I was told about this appointment probably like March uh, and then I had to teach it in June. So it's like, oh well, since wow. you, so wow. I had to. So <laughs> a lot of a lot of long nights with with, with with going over the medications. But what really helped me was getting involved in the communities. Uh, I actually, this is my second board of directors. So I serve on a board of directors here in town, uh, Joseph H. Neal Health Collaborative, and that's really a underserved clinic where we service the needs of people primarily living with HIV. Wow. And before that, I used to serve on the board of South Carolina HIV and AIDS Council. And so really that was the, the biggest education for me. I mean, the medications was really just kind of just learning them. I was able to, my, my biology background helped me with the virology. And so I'm pretty good at immunology. So the, the pathophysiology of it wasn't really big, right. big of an issue. Right. But the, the community feel, like understanding the gravity of this problem uh, really helped me just do some of my service with these organizations. And so that's, to me, I always say that's the biggest education that I receive is from the, from the members of the community. And, and to their to their point, I mean, being able to be in certain spaces and people ask you questions, feel like you can relate to them on you know, a certain level, became a big brother kind of feel with some of the younger guys coming in, newly diagnosed with HIV and helping them to understand it's not a death sentence. These are some things that you can mm -hmm. do yeah. to take better care of yourself. So, so uh, Well, so I like the idea that you are teaching a professor in the pharmacy school, but you also have to be practicing as well. Because sure. when I think back to chiropractic school, my favorite teachers were in practice, mm -hmm. but also teaching. Sure. And my least favorite ones were ones that hadn't been in, in practice for 30 years. Sure, they yeah. were so out of touch. They had no idea, right. but they were teaching things that they learned or that worked in practice maybe 30 years sure. ago. Mm -hmm. So I like that side of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then the side of it of, helping the young, I guess they're primarily younger, right? Because yeah. when you think of HIV, the age range is generally in the 25. Yeah, 25. like yeah. the yeah. 20s sure, yeah. range. Is that where you would say most of yours? Oh, well, I'll say probably, well, unfortunately now we are seeing some at the middle school to high school age range. Wow. Um, wow. So it's, it's actually the testing guidelines really go to about 13. If you look at most of about 13 to 64 wow. or 65, that's really that general mark mm -hmm. and so that brings up a, some concerns about obviously entering into different middle schools and high schools and the thought of you know this is this isn't our children you know our kids don't do that and so it's kind of that's the dynamic is while we see people being diagnosed younger and younger uh sometimes you know the, the school systems or the parental systems really aren't as open to that consideration that you know my child at 14 or 13 is engaging in in activities that could cause the, him or her to have uh, HIV. So 
And you, is it and is it sexually transmitted at that age usually, or is it needles? Or no, no it's sexually transmitted. Is it? Yeah, yeah, it's sexually transmitted. I mean, you you really don't see your it's, it's, it's hard pressed to find someone. Not as much needles, but maybe uh, born with it. Uh, there are very rare cases. So uh, another thing I do is I, I sit on something called the South Carolina Fetal Infant Mortality Review Committee or oh. FEMA. And so this is where we look at missed opportunities where unfortunately people were born with HIV. And so we actually just had a, a, a conference call a week or so ago. And our job there is to retrospectively look back to see what we could have done differently as a healthcare system to prevent, because this day and age with the technology and things that we have, we really shouldn't have children born with HIV. Even when, and that's one thing that people may not know, even with parents that have HIV, if we can get the virus low enough in their bodies, they will not pass it on to their children. Oh, that's but that's really solely due to the medications. They have to be adherent, taking the medications on a daily basis. And sometimes when people have limited access to get to the clinics or transportation barriers, and so they may fall out of care, that's when we get some of those uh, unfortunate transmissions to, to the unborn child because perhaps they were out of medication for a week and they didn't go and get it refilled or whatever the case mm -hmm. may be. So, uh, but, but anyway, so yeah, it's, but it's definitely sexual. Yeah. Is it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and you had no thought going into this, this is what you would be doing. And, and, and the and next all. thing, you know, you're a mentor for well, and it, it, downtown Columbia. I have to tell you, this is, it, it really is a, a motivating story for students in pharmacy school too, because the first thought is, Oh, I can't, you know, I can't learn this. I don't. And so they, they like, no, you can learn anything you want to learn. Um, and so I give them that story and I tell them, you know, it's like, what? I'm, Cause now when they hear me talk about, it, I'm naming this drug and I'm just kind of just going on a rant about things now. And, but before, you know, I tell them, I, I didn't know where the guidelines were, like the actual guidelines to manage. I couldn't, I had no idea to even look. I was embarrassed to ask someone because I was thought to be this HIV person. Like, where do I even go for guidance? So it, it was truly an intrinsic effort, but the community really understanding just kind of, you know, the, the, the significance of it really, really helped me to really value what I was doing. At first, it just seemed like an assignment, like you have to do this because you identify with this population and it's a need to feel from the community mm -hmm. and the school side, but over time it really became a passion because I'm like it's so it's such a big problem and it's it's just not it's not as discussed as we talked about before as well. So, well, and statistically, so just to give us if you happen to know any numbers off the top of your head here locally, what are some of the statistics just for the the for HIV AIDS sure. and a lot of the sexually tr transmitted diseases that you're seeing? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a, that's a good question. And so as far as far as the numbers, I would say the statistics really shake out by really racial or uh, ethnicity demographics and the way that you have sex. So for example, here locally and in mirrors really throughout the country uh, is men who have sex with men, which is really kind of the, I guess, the, the less stigmatizing way of saying homosexual or gay men. Men who have sex with men, particularly uh, black men who have sex with men. Uh, and and it, this is going to be pretty startling, but it's close to 50% uh, of black men who have sex with men not just in Colombia, but in across, like, the, across the country. Wow. So yeah, have, I mean, it was, have it, what fifty percent have HIV? Have HIV? No. Yes, even in um, Atlanta, it was a it was a study that came out that uh, if you and someone made a, the point that you could flip a coin in in the Atlanta area, and uh, if it were black men who have sex with men, uh, and some of that's uh, transmitted off through the, the rectal route or anally. But yeah, it's it's close to fifty percent. I mean, that blows my that yeah, absolutely it's, blows my it's, mind. Now, now again, it's different. It's different phases as far as being able to control it. You know, I mean, now people are living longer with it. It's a term yep. we call undetectable, where you get the virus 
as low in your body where you don't pass it on to others if you're on your regimen. But yeah, the 50% mark, particularly among, so that's the most startling statistic among black men who have sex with men and men who have sex with men or, or gay men in general. Um, and what's even more startling about that is a lot of people, I said a lot, but in the Columbia area, some people won't identify as as gay or bisexual or menosexual men. So they will be identified as heterosexual. And so they may be, they are, they may be missed. So the number is probably uh, actually higher, unfortunately, from when you start thinking about people who actually identify like in our in our clinic, you we may see a patient that has a, a wife and children and they'll talk about the grad one of the stories that sticks out in my mind a patient who had a you know wife and children and was, was talking about his child's graduation from high school and then he said, Well let's can I talk about my boyfriend? And so I was like, oh, well, sure, right? You know, we help care, you know, yeah. tell me about him. And so then he started talking about, you know, he felt his boyfriend may be at risk of HIV. And of course, his family didn't know. And so, it, and I've encountered similar situations to that here in Columbia where, and unfortunately, for, and, and sometimes the wives wouldn't really know of the, obviously the boyfriends. And so you have a lot of times that women sometimes are kind of left out of the conversation because the stats really point right. toward, Men who have sex with men, so women may be have that false sense of security that no, it can't be me. Uh, but if they're interacting sexually with people who have these partners, then it and, can be. And it's being passed then from the man to his wife. That's too, correct. Probably. That's correct. Well, That's exactly yeah. what. And so then, and then the women sometimes will actually. It's a report that came out recently that's predicting. Unfortunately, I think about 20, 20, 30, between twenty thirty and twenty forty, we'll start seeing more AIDS in 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 black women. And the reason for that is because a lot of times they aren't as concerned about it because they view it as kind of the, the gay men's disease or the men who have sex with men disease, unbeknownst to them that their their husband or boyfriend or whoever may be engaging in some same sexual activity and they're in they're getting treatment. Yeah. They're there, they're getting the care, whereas the women typically aren't. I don't know. So uh, to fo- like follow up on that, why does race matter in that? Like, why would that be a thing that you're seeing more um, African-American men with African-American men or just African-American men at all? No, African-American men with 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 men in general. With African-American men, yeah. See, I don't, that's, that because that confuses me sure. and why that is a thing. Is well, there... I think some of it is, is kind of what we, we refer to as something like the social determinants of health. So maybe where people, just the lack of access to care, not getting gotcha. it, not getting uh, tested as often, right. those type of things. I think is the, you know, the, 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 the false reality of certain things, certain ways of having sex don't trans, translate to HIV when they actually do. So I think it's an education piece right. and it's also the, the access to the healthcare system. And some of it is reporting too. So you know, some of our uh, African American men, as far as they go to use public health service like the health department, where they so it's those are you know, obviously it's reportable everywhere. But if you have private physicians, sometimes they may or may not report to the same degree. Right. And so when we look by race, we typically see uh, black men are more relying upon public testing and public facilities that are more apt to report, whereas non-black individuals may have a private position or. They may or may not. I mean, they should. They're obligated to, but right. they may or may not report to the same level. So, so that's some of it. So yeah. it's socioeconomic, it which is, is why it's so high, more than an actual genetic. Variant. Yeah, no, it's definitely socioeconomic. Yeah, okay. yeah. So and a lot of it is that access to care and really 
Uh, and, you know, some of it is, you know, as far as some just the distrust of the healthcare system. That's a lot. You know, we, we talk about that some in our work about some of the previous things that's happened to African-Americans over time with some of the spirit right. and things. Mm-hmm. So getting people into care, uh, black people into care in general, particularly some of the younger black men, you know, there even we saw, I mean, this is a different uh, subject altogether, obviously, but even the same thing with the coronavirus vaccine, same consideration. We actually had people to say, oh, I won't take the vaccine if it's from a non-black person because I think they put something in it before to, to, right? to you know contaminate yeah. it to yeah. so those are some things that we we struggle with mm-hmm. and so I think that it's a similar situation with HIV getting people comfortable enough with the healthcare system which goes back to the foresight that our school and clinic kind of had with hey you're a younger black guy maybe you can kind of relate to them and kind of help them understand the reasons for for getting into care yeah and so I think that's something but it's still yeah. So to so to backtrack for the listeners to so they kind of understand if if we've heard the term HIV and AIDS so HIV is human immunodeficiency virus mm-hmm. so right within that terminology it's stating that the immune system of that person is deficient that's correct. right mm-hmm. so when we think of then how it progresses mm-hmm. is if it goes untreated if that virus goes untreated for X amount of time mm-hmm. is there a time frame. Or is it kind of just? It, it kind of it kind of depends on the the strain of HIV, perhaps that you come in contact with. Okay. You know, as far as sexually, uh, but if it if it goes untreated, you can, what happens is our white cells or different um, cells in our body will get lower and lower, and that's what will give us the marker of, of AIDS or acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. Then it turns into and AIDS. then it turns into AIDS, yep. and then we're more at risk, or patients are more at risk of just what we call opportunistic infections or things that could. That shouldn't weaken their immune or shouldn't really be problematic are at this point right. in time. So the therapies that you so pharmaceutically, the therapies that somebody would be utilizing would be to boost one's immune That's system. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Is there any discussion or talk about using things like vitamins and minerals and like vitamin D and sure. vitamin C and the things that just and zinc and even with the coronavirus, a lot of that has brought light to like, what should we be doing to support our immune system just to protect ourselves from any viral load? Mm-hmm. Is there any talk about that? Yeah, there. I mean, it's definitely alongside of the antivirals. The thought, the, the challenge with the the vitamins, I think they don't, don't they don't halt the progression of they don't halt the viral activity. So they can help boost the immune system, but you definitely need an antiviral medication that's working on the virus at different gotcha. points. And so the so once you get that under control, then you can kind of start thinking about holistically boosting your immune system. Because I always think of like um, foods that are antiviral, foods that are antifungal, like garlic and onions. And, sure. And you hear in the holistic world a, a lot of like potent concoctions where you're like juicing garlic and <laughs> juicing onions and and inserting them into your body in different points to kind of get the antiviral effects and the antifungal and antibacterial effects of those while trying to minimize any harm, because what would be, what are some of the side effects or concerns of um, pharmaceutically, like chemically boosting one's immune system? Well, some of the concerns definitely from the antiviral perspective would be kidney damage perhaps over time with certain medications. Most of our medications are metabolized or broken down by the liver and then they're eliminated through the kidney. So, so the liver issues could be a big concern. Some can even cause some neurological concerns as well. Uh, so that so I would say brain, kidney, and liver would probably be your big, big three. three yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But to what you you mentioned about the different concoctions, so that's where the socioeconomic part comes in because some patients may not be able to have access or afford it 
Because even the medications we, we get is called PAP or patient assistance program. Mm-hmm. So we actually get support to cover the medications for patients. So, uh, it, it, so they really don't bear a lot of the financial cost of the of the medication. Yeah. But again, outside of that medication world, to so what you're referring to, right. the financial implications will probably be tougher for patients to, to manage that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are there are there um, root cause strategies that people are thinking like where how do we like stop this or is there a percentage? Like they talk about other viruses, is there a threshold where they say, "Hey, if we get to this level, we can eradicate this"? Sure. So that's what. So it's actually it's interesting. Yesterday, something called now in the HIV epidemic or EHE is uh, kind of the mantra now, and the, <clears throat> and the thought is is prevention. So this is another thing that's fairly new for for some people is that you can actually prevent HIV through medications, through a daily medications where it is uh, called PrEP or pre-exposure prophylaxis, mm-hmm. where you actually can take that pill a day. And that's really the biggest tool to really kind of help because if you stop new infections, obviously then you're essentially uh, will eradicate it over time. I mean, as far as cure therapy, there are some companies working on, you know, medications that could actually cure HIV. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big controversies is that particularly in our communities, it's like, well, you know, it's a cure out there, but they won't release it because this is what patients are saying, because they're going to lose money. And so is, but you do have some companies that are being pretty aggressive with, with trying to cure it. But right now, the best we can do as far as the eradicating is really more on the prevention side. If we can stop the number of new, the new right. cases right. That, and, and obviously prevent people from progressing to AIDS. But if we can stop the number of new HIV cases, uh, that will go a long way. Is is there some maybe a couple very promiscuous people who are spreading it a lot, or is it? I think uh, there's legal one, implications for that too. Right? Well, that's if what I'm know. wondering. Well, that is, that's another good question. So there, there, uh, the legal implications are kind of tricky because in order to prove someone purposely gave you HIV, I mean, you need access to their medical records. You need to prove right. that they actually had, they knew they had it. And uh, obviously that's protected by HIPAA and other yeah. factors. So the, the the legal aspect gets to be a bit tricky. But now I will say now that to what you mentioned about people purposely spreading it, there are some cases, and I would like to think they're in the minority cases, but there are some that are out there where people will intentionally contract HIV. The thought there is, well, it, it blew my mind when I first heard it. The thought is that because the healthcare system, I guess the best way to put it, is so uh, supportive of HIV as far as the treatments and things like that. So what patients, some patients have done is kind of exploited that. And so, and again, I don't want to disparage everyone this way, but some patients have said, well, I don't have any health insurance. I don't have any coverage for my food or because HIV is more of a holistic management. They pay that the system pays for not just the medications, but they, something called HOP or housing opportunities for people. Yeah. So they, wow. so patients actually, some patients oh, will contract wild. the disease because they'll get the HIV medication paid so, for, but other things as well. So there's people purposely getting HIV, it, right? It, in 2021, there's people who are purposely yeah, getting yeah, HIV. I mean, if, if you, yeah, and again, I don't want to make it seem like it's a, a bright problem, but yeah, I mean, if, even on YouTube, if you, if you, uh, if you wanted some some viewing uh, back, uh, back up to this, it's called Bug, B-U-E Chaser, Bug Chaser. And so if you look at the Bug Chaser theory on YouTube, you'll be able to see that uh, some people call it the gift that keeps on giving, and it's a lot of different uh, 
quotes around wild. it. But yeah, but but if you look, I remember the first time I talked to a patient at the clinic, he told me, so I was going through and I was very new. I just moved out, just kind of getting my feet under me. I told you, I told you my story in it. So I, I was finally feeling confident and he threw me a curveball. I said, well, hey, you know, it's, you know, I'm the pharmacist here today. You know, let's kind of talk about how you came into contact with HIV. He's like, oh, I got it on purpose. No. And I was like, okay, so I recognize I may talk a little fast. So let me go back through what I said again. I, <laughs> I was, I couldn't believe, I was like, okay, so I'm, I know I didn't hear you correctly. You know, so, so I went through it again. He said, no, young man, I, I purposely got it. I said, well, that's interesting. You know, I was trying to keep my composure because I'm just floored in and front of him. And he's an older guy, it sounds like? Yeah, he's like. an older guy. He's an older oh. guy. And so he, I said, well, explain that to me. Like, why would someone do that? And so he, what his point was, and it, it still sticks with me to this day, he said, well, I've been trying to get an appointment to the clinic. I can't get into the clinic. You know, my health conditions, non-HIV at that point, you know, he had cholesterol issues and blood pressure and diabetes. And those things were being neglected. And he heard that, you know, with getting HIV, all these things would be paid for as well because he would be able to attribute those disease states to HIV. And like, so he had depression, for example. So he'll be able to say that the HIV made his depression worse. That's why. He should get coverage for that. And he actually told me that he uh, he went to this house and he, I won't say exactly where it was, but he went to a place where there was a documented person living with HIV. Like, And the goal of this place or this party of sorts was to contract oh, wow. HIV. And so anyway, he did that. Like a chicken pox party for HIV. And again, now, 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 and mind you, I'm talking about the, the outliers of the outliers. But when yeah. he said that, he told me that, you know, I got into my, when I, once I had a confirmed HIV diagnosis, I got into the clinic the next week. He said they gave me a ride to the clinic. I got a food voucher because all these things are grant funded because yeah. it's to support people living with HIV to make yeah. sure they have all the resources they need. So he basically told me he had a ride to the clinic. He got, uh, he got a food voucher and he got a chance to talk to the pharmacist. So he's like, that's my, hey, I'm talking to you. So he's like, wow. he's like, well, who wouldn't get this? And now I remember that question just hunts me. That's what he, that's what he said. That's how he left the conversation. But he was telling me all the fact, like he, his housing had, they helped him with the, you know, upgrade his housing. And I say they, as far as the system and the resources that were right. around people. With, but without those things, uh, he didn't. And in some states, not, not as much in South Carolina, but in some states, it's even more distinguished with AIDS. Like if you have AIDS, the laws are so antiquated that people will clean up your houses. They will do chores for you because the laws are written when people with AIDS were dying very rapidly. So some of those laws are still in place. So some people in some areas will allow themselves to progress to AIDS. They will purposely stop taking their medications because they recognize that once their, once their levels drop so low, then they'll be diagnosed with AIDS and then they'll get even more from the healthcare wow. system. So again, I, this isn't uh, your typical patient, but there right. are some perspectives out there. Yeah. That, yeah. So now that is a part of what we're talking about. Like, you know, how, how does that factor into eradication right. for people who are right. purposely trying to get that? So I'm, I'm hopefully still, that has been too far into, you know, too far out, uh, out of bounds, but that's kind of where some things can kind of go. With this, yeah. I'm still blown away by the 50%. Well, yeah. I mean, and, 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 and that's a ballpark. I mean, it's definitely in that area as yeah. far as like, yeah. and particularly, and again, the, the race has been thought to be more of a social economic factor, mm -hmm. but particularly in the Southeast. So just if you're looking uh, demographically, the Southeast is by far uh, the hardest hit by HIV for oh. certain. So Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, all of these states here are extremely, any map that you go to, where particularly, again, among male sex with men will be 
it'll, it'll be off the charts. I mean, it's it's really and so because of that reason, a lot of the fun, federal funding is devoted to the southeast, to yeah. where you know hopefully trying to get a handle on some of this. So. And so, what about the statistics for women? Because it could can or homosexual women, women having sex with women also transmit this or it's a lot more challenging? It's a lot more challenging there. Yeah. So you don't really see, I won't won't say any, but hardly ever would you see the transmission from HIV. It was actually some conversation about this at a meeting recently. Usually if you're thinking women who were were infected, it's from a male interaction at some Mm -hmm. point. It's really hard. And a lot of that's because uh, with men, when men have sex with men, it's a lot of uh, anal sex. And so it's the, the amount of blood exposure sometimes in that respect uh, could be a problem. And, but th- with women, you typically don't don't see that. Well, and that brings up a good point. So the modes of transmission. So there's anal sex, there's vaginal sex, yeah. there can oral sex can well, oral transmit. Oral sex is pretty much low. That's probably very, low. very, very low. Needles, yeah. like so... It could Sharing be. And needle. Needles are really more uh, well, hepatitis C consideration, okay. uh, but not as much HIV. It, really? Yeah, and you wouldn't it, see it as much. What about like in sports? Like say say there's an HIV athlete mm-hmm. uh, um, in a contact sport where there's blood. Is there any special provisions or anything that they, does that have to be made known to people playing? Like, well, that's a good question. It depends on the state. So in, in some places it's, it's really thought to be no because it's, a, it's protecting the patient. It's right. Like, it's a, uh, HIPAA or more of a privacy act thing there. So typically, no, they don't have to disclose that, particularly if their viral load is really, really low. Mm-hmm. Again, we're going back to the the chances of particularly in a contact sport, you know, right. if you're tackling somebody and getting a little blood or whatever from your helmet, it's not going to transmit it. Okay. But definitely if your virus is really, really low and undetectable, it's not going to, it's not going to transmit. And for the listeners, it is possible to be exposed to HIV and still not get it. That's correct. Okay. That's absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and there's different. And again, the really the if you if you're looking at routes of transmission, I would say definitely anal sex is at the the highest, then vaginal, and then oral. Uh, okay. But now on the other side of things, is when we look at some of our sexually transmitted infections other than HIV. So we talked a little bit about this before we started, like mm-hmm. with syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. Those we're seeing quite a bit of through through uh, oral sex or through vaginal sex. Wow. And a lot of times it's because of the, the anal oral sex sometimes that occurs with men who have sex with men, right. we're seeing, you know, uh, different infections or that we don't commonly see in the throat area. Right. Uh, being in hepatitis A, you know, it's another concern. I mean, we really don't think of hepatitis A being a big concern uh, in the United States because it's really more of a, a, a foodborne or some, you know, yeah. but, but with the anal oral sex, it's the same consideration right. um, that fecal oral. We're, we're going to have to dedicate an entire podcast <laughs> to each of those, I think. Because but yeah, but, but that is an interesting thing because it, the break, it was a uh, breakout here, not too, uh, uh, outbreak here not too long ago in the Columbia area. And one of the thoughts were, was it really restaurants who were poor quality or were the people who, you know, have been engaging in some of these uh, anal oral sex activity. So, I, so those those things we do see. I guess the point there is with other SCIs outside of HIV, oral and vaginal sex, the risk goes a little bit higher. Right. Well, and I'm thinking about just from pure education standpoint. So we're in healthcare, and I I'm going all the way back throughout my all of our schooling. There's not a lot of discussion on STDs. You know, there's there's you know, maybe a test on it in yeah. one class or kind of, so there's not a lot of talk yet. Everybody has sex at some point in their, for the most part, sure. right? You would think that that's a topic that needs to be 
there needs to be a heck of a lot more education on this stuff because there's just That's fear on it. Sure. Like it's it's fear when we're young and in yeah. middle school and in high school and that kind of thing. But there's no like discussion like we're having today about. It. Well, it's interesting you say that because even here in Columbia, like I've gone to you know school systems or, or religious institutions and and something called a zip code scan where we can actually show the amount of sexually transmitted infection, particularly HIV, in your zip code. Like wow. we can look and say, you would love that. And so I want to see loves, those yeah. stats. He loves maps. Well, you could, I do. I like it, statistics well, and maps. Well, it's yes. interesting because you can you can show someone <laughs> to what you mentioned about. I guess it's almost denial. It really is denial. You can show them that your business, your institution, your household of faith, whatever you call it, is in this zip code. This is the diet. And here are the, the STIs that are surrounding yeah. this. And it's like, so why should we not have a conversation about it? Oh, this isn't happening here. Okay, so this is your place. <laughs> like like the mall, like the map, right? You are here, right? So you are here and these things surround you. Yeah. And it's still just a level of just, Dissonance. I mean, it's just like, no, no. I mean, you, you can't talk about it. We don't, we don't do those things. I'm like, well, this is you, right? This is your facility. That's right. And these are the, so whether you want to believe it or not, I mean, this is, it. so even those type of tools sometimes still don't, it really don't awaken Nobody's people. It's like, out. it's just a, I, 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 you're well-intentioned, well you know, we appreciate your passion. Go tell those people over there that, right? Yeah, go tell all those other <laughs> yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. I'm people. like, but we're, yeah. I came to the, the data drove me to you, right? Yeah. I didn't just pull you out of the sky like yeah. this. I, you're, you're the dot, right? Yeah. And these other dots around you yeah. are, but, you know, it's just really interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it's not a lot of conversation, but it's because of just the denial, even right. with the data. It's, it's not just, I'm not making this up. Like, I didn't make the map. I didn't make the data, like, this right. is it. Yeah. So if you were to then to kind of wrap wrap it up, if you were to say the things you'd like to see changed in Colombia, you had a magic wand, you could make new rules, decisions, whatever needed to happen, where would you start? Well, I think today, I think I don't say that just to, 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 to celebrate you. I'm glad I'd be here, but I do think we need more conversation. We just need, we, I think you would have to start with just having, you know, a, a dialogue at a school, you know, or at, at, a, at a church or some type of religious institution, just to ask questions. I think the biggest challenge is the, the fear is fueled by just misinformation. People and people are afraid to ask questions. They don't want to know or they it may feel like it's a stupid question. So I think just having that conversation about let's just answer some of the questions like what you all have done today, which I'm mm-hmm. glad to be a part of it, because I think that's that's where you have to start. And then people may say, oh, OK, so it, it, it isn't transmitted this way. Or, and you start learning things. You feel more kind of normalized in that conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think you, you know, because sometimes we, we wait for patients to I say we in healthcare to come into the clinic and we want them to come and seek us out and get all the knowledge. But we need to really be in spaces like this or yeah. at a, you know, at a church or at a school, you know, after school hours, just talking with parents. Like, mm-hmm. what questions do you have about HIV? Mm-hmm. Right. After they see that data, they say, well, what, what questions, you know, what questions do you have? What can we answer about mm-hmm. it? I think to me that if that was some, like on a kind of a, 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 a circular basis or we can kind of do that on kind of a revolving basis, I think that will really, really help. Yeah. Because yeah. once you get people asking questions and they kind of feel like, oh, like when you're not even talked about yeah. this initially, right? So yeah. that morphed into this. So I yeah. think. Having people to ask questions in a space that's outside of the clinic, they don't feel judged or feel like, you know, they're, you know, the people in the white coats and they're, you know, just sit down and talk about it yeah. and ask some of those questions. I think yeah. that would be my place. That's, and then when it comes to your own personal health routine, 
what are you doing and what have you found works well for well, you? I hang out with you all once a week, right? <laughs> and, I'm, right. and I'm proud of it. Sometimes twice a week when I miss my appointments. So don't miss your appointments, right? So, but FYI, but I, I, I the adjustments have helped. And, and, and definitely, uh, you know, I picked up tennis. We've talked about yeah. something that. No, I'm, not, I'm not that great. I joke with my wife, but I'm on my way to Wimbledon. But uh, I don't know if I'm going to be in the stands or <laughs> on the court. <laughs> but uh, I'm playing uh, doubles some there. I, don't, I run every now and then. So I uh, I, I think we first Train, yeah, you were training, we were training for, for a, a, mar- a marathon mm-hmm. at one point. So I, I, I've fallen off and gotten back on there, but I'm, I'm running some too. So that, that really helps. Yeah, good. Good, nice. good. And, and there's a lot of data coming out about how just even the adjustment and how it stimulates and boosts the immune system, sure. which is cool stuff. Um, so, and that's what we kind of talked about too. And you know, with 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 people living with HIV, getting them to the point where it's not just about the HIV infection. You know, how do you you thrive with HIV? Right? It's right. not just living with it. But how do you thrive with? It? How do you? Yes, go get adjusted. Right? Go and yeah. do these things. So it's, now that we have the HIV under control, don't let that drive your life. Right? You we we control that. You're on your therapies. So do some other things that promote holistic health than just being tied to your numbers. Like, oh, right. I, you know, I have to right. make sure I keep my bar load down. Yes, that's important, but now let's do some other things. Yeah. And it was interesting and, and a lot of credit to you and the school as well, because I did a workshop at the school mm-hmm. and going into it thinking I'm walking into a pharmacy school and my whole um, preface is the better you take care of yourself, the less you need drugs. <laughs> sure. And I wonder how this is going to go over, but I, I actually found that most of the people there were saying, yes, we disperse a lot of drugs, but our goal is not to be on drugs ourselves. Our goal is to be healthy ourselves and we'll do anything we can. Like you said. And patients as well. Yeah, we want them to do that. We talked about a little bit quick. I know we're running out of time, but that helping patients to empower them that you you don't have to take four or five pills. Maybe let's cut to three. Let's cut to two. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, really, you know, downsizing that, you know, and giving them options to, like, again, outside of the HIV world, do other things that don't just center your virus. You know? yeah. yeah. And I think you're doing a lot of good and we appreciate that well, no, for, appreciate for all the people. And I think there are a lot of pharmacists out there who maybe in the past have just not cared or just given out more and more sure, and sure. more drugs or they didn't care. Or they didn't educate sure. people. So yeah. what you're doing in, in Columbia, we appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, if someone wants to reach out, say somebody is listening to this and they're saying, Hey, I want you to, um, talk in my area sure, or talk sure. in my church, or they're saying, hey, I know someone that I want to refer to the resources that they need. Where do they go for that? Um, well, I can give you all my information, but yeah, this I ha- I email address. I can give, I can say it now. Or I can yeah, just we'll, put, we'll put all the notes yeah, yeah, in there. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah so um, they can contact me directly and then I can re- uh, triage them to different clinics I know here. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. All right. Thank, thank you. Thank you, you all. I all appreciate right. it. Here for the health of it. For the health of it.